0: All right, thanks for the welcome and uh, applaud earlier. And I see a lot of friends here I haven't seen in a long time. And it's good to be a part of um, this this service this morning. I love Tri Cities Baptist Church. I just want to say that. I love your leadership, love these guys. We don't know where we would be without you guys. So just thank you uh, for that. So I want to open us up in prayer, and then we're going to jump into this topic of going to plant churches. So let's bow our heads and pray. Uh, Father, your word is getting ready to be shared and preached, and the objective in teaching and preaching is always for Christ to be exalted, for your word to be understood, and for you to grow us uh, through your word. Lord, we must decrease, and as a teacher this morning, I must decrease and you alone must increase. May the eyes of our hearts, Lord, may our minds and hearts both be stirred. May the gospel be made clear. May whatever words are of me in the flesh quickly fall to the ground, and only what is of you, Lord, stir us and change us forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, if you've got your Bible, you're going to know this passage. Right at the end of Jesus's ministry in Matthew 28, he says this, always to the end of the age. So we see this important call for Jesus' followers to go and make disciples. And what I want to try to do this morning is take this call, this great commission, and to show how it will eventually lead to planting healthy, gospel-centered churches. And we'll start right off with what we'll call our big truth of the day, which is making disciples demands that we share Jesus and leads us to plant churches so that's the big truth making the disciples demands that we share Jesus and leads us to plant churches if you look at the first part of that great commission again Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and he says go make disciples the setting is he's on the mountaintop And it's the last words that he's going to say to his disciples. This is a calculated conversation where Jesus has already thought, what's the last thing that I want to leave with these people before I ascend into heaven? And his last words were their mission, which is our mission if we are Jesus' followers, which is to go, to go, to baptize, to share your faith with other individuals, to let the Word of God teach them and, and, and teach them to obey the Word of God, but to go, go, go. Big idea number one, the gospel is always about going. I want you to see that. The gospel is always about going because it stems from the gospel itself where God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And in the same way that Jesus was sent to us, we are to go as well. This church is big on equipping. In fact, Wednesday night I was here and it was great and it was an equip Wednesday. And this comes from Ephesians 4, where we are told as pastors and teachers that we are to equip the saints for works of ministry. And if we're doing our job, this equipping of the saints will have people have saints, have Jesus followers going. That doesn't always mean that they go to Las Vegas or Colorado or to Elizabethan, but it does mean that we need to be going. If if to no one else, to our neighbors and to our family members and our co-workers, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, is what Psalm 107 says. And if we truly are Jesus followers, we can't hide that. We have to go and we have to share that truth with other individuals. And I think that if we do that, that this going will sometimes lead us to go to these regions of Appalachia, these small towns, and I'll get to that in a moment. So yes, the topic of the week this morning, the past two weeks I guess, has been planting churches, and it's a huge part of this call to go, But notice in Jesus' words, if you look at that Great Commission, he did not say, and go plant churches, did he? He didn't say that. Instead, he said, go make disciples. But I think that we can show the implications of if we go and if we plant the gospel and if we are sharing our faith, that oftentimes it is going to lead to a gospel-centered healthy church plant big idea number two the goal is not or the goal is to plant the gospel but not churches jesus's call and i'll explain this in a moment but jesus's call is for us to go plant the gospel that's a distinction that i like to make often in talking to other individuals but not necessarily churches Now, we're an expository uh, preaching church like you guys, and you guys have been going through 2 Peter just like we have, so I'm a verse-by-verse guy. This is a little bit different, so I have to kind of break away from that. This is more topical and share some stories along the way. So for me to be able to further explain to you what I mean by planting the gospel, I got to give you a couple of stories related to our experience at Redstone Church Elizabethan. You know how sometimes there's like a passage that just gets into your heart, into your mind, and just stays there for a season? You know what I'm talking about. So this passage was Colossians 4.2. Colossians 4.2 says, remain steadfast in prayer. And here's my key word, watchful in it with thanksgiving. And I kept on teaching this in devotions and praying this over my kids and, and, and you know, whomever would listen, we must remain prayerful and we must remain watchful. And what happened was we were at an elder retreat at Redstone Johnson City where I was an elder. And we were in some cabin somewhere And we were praying through this. We were saying, God, open up our eyes. Help us to see something that we don't see. And as we began to just write down the names of the people that were a part of Redstone Johnson City, we said, looky there. Look at all of these people that are driving across town, but they come from Hampton, they come from Elizabeth, and they're coming from Carter County. We said, I wonder if the Lord might want us to plant a church in Elizabethan. So we put it in our phone, you know, those reminders that pop up on a daily basis, pray for Elizabethan. And we began to pray every single day, and we just sensed that that's something the Lord was calling us to do. And I also used this phrase called leading out loud. So instead of just putting that in our elder back pocket, we began to talk about that to our congregation. We're like, we don't know. We're not sure that the Lord's doing this, but we sensed that there might be this stirring for us to be a part of a church plant in Elizabethan. And the response that we got from people in the church and outside of the church, was, are you sure you wanna do that? Are you sure you wanna plant a church in Elizabeth? And at the time, there had not been a successful church plant in over 39 years. 39 years, not a successful church plant. And at the time, I'm an elder helping with this thing, so I didn't have the skin in the game, but I had no idea that the Lord was going to call me to pastor that church, which is another story uh, for another day. But we proceeded uh, forward in faith, and as we did, we began to talk to a lot of people in Carter County, and we gathered um, some anecdotal um, evidences of what we were up against. Here was the first one. We heard, this is a loose paraphrase, but it was a lot like this. If the evidence of this gospel is to be found in the behavior that we see in those who attend church regularly here in Carter County, then, well, we don't believe it because it must not be true. I know who these people really are. I work with them. I'm neighbors with them. And they're a different person Monday through Saturday than they are on Sunday mornings. So there was this seed of tremendous doubt that was in this region where there are churches on every Corner. Anecdotal evidence number two that we were reminded of was that the, there's a problem presenting the gospel in the South because, you know, it's different than, say, China or Europe or, or even in the New England states. Everybody in the South thinks that they're a Christian, right? What do you do with that? Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, everybody kind of starts to come and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm already a believer. I'm already a Christian. But if you dig deep enough, you will find. That these people truly aren't jesus followers they'll talk football they'll talk barbecue they'll talk weather they'll talk chicken casserole but no one will talk about heart sin struggle and the need for a savior there's these previous attempts to plant a church in elizabeth and over the previous 39 years I'm not throwing rocks at these guys because I know that they had great intentions, but they were, they were trying to like come in and incarnate into a town that they did not know. They didn't know the people or how they thought. So their question was, how can we get them to come to church? So creatively, they would have barbecues. They had NASCAR night. They had just some, you know, what are people in Carter County like? And, and those things eventually, they just faded. You know, it was, it was a novelty. Well, that was a lot of fun. And then eventually they would go their merry way. So we looked at that after talking to, you know, those that had tried and failed and and talking to people um, within the region, and we asked, you know, why is that and what might we learn? So a couple of things. One, we can't make church cool or compete with the world as a means of entertainment. Now, this is my own term, so don't throw rocks at me, but I hate what I have termed Patagonia Christianity where we try to make Jesus and the church trendy cool and attractive and that is not a slam to anyone in here who's wearing Patagonia today because I like it too that's not the point but the word of God reminds us that the cross will be offensive the cross itself is offensive others will hear this gospel message and we see it in the word of God and they will think it's ludicrous And remember that Jesus Christ himself says, I'm the only way. You can't get to the Father except through me. And sometimes that exclusivity is not very well received, is it? And this exposure of darkness by light is what eventually led to Christ's crucifixion. The second takeaway from these failed attempts to plant a church is if we desire to plant a church, we've got to be a part of the community. We can't entertain them and feed them. We actually have to get to know them. And the people that were a part of what we call this core team, all of the people that were up on that board that we said, "Oh, well, look at this, all these people are traveling all the way across town and coming to Johnson City. All of those people had gone to Elizabethan High School or Unaka High School or Hampton High School. I went to Happy Valley. Go Warriors. You know, and, and we know this is our old stomping ground. We know these people. We know how they think. You know, we've got relationships with merchants, and and we said we've got to take advantage of that and sit down and start having conversations with these individuals. So going back to the big idea of planting the gospel and not churches, we recognized that people did not need to be entertained in this community. They needed to hear the gospel message. Okay, We needed to break it down, have serious, heartfelt conversations with them, and they needed to hear the gospel and all that the gospel entails, which is not just, and you know this, it's not just forgiveness of sins and hope for the life thereafter, but it's such, so much more than that. It's our very purpose. It's our very identity. It's strength. It's daily joy. It's hope for any situation that we might find ourselves in. It's It's taking care of this guilt for all of these foolish and crazy things that we've done in our life. It's so much more than just a ticket into heaven. And as you all have learned and as we've learned in 2 Peter, it's this promise of his divine power within us that gives us strength on a daily basis. And it gives us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness, I think was the passage. But these conversations are most productive when they take place with individuals that we know and that we are willing to get to know. So the goal, remain watchful, paying attention. Who's in front of me right now? Who is it that I keep on connecting to every time I walk into the store or that's in my neighborhood? Let me start praying for those individuals and let's see if the Lord doesn't open up the door there. And if he does, I have to be willing to walk through it. So that's what we tried to do one gospel, st- gospel conversation um, at a time. And it started by just getting to know people and then listening to their stories. Just tell me your story. You know, your name's Ben. I, I know you, if, you know, a little bit, but I don't know you very well. So what's your story? Well, what do you mean what's my story? I don't know. You got a mom? You got a dad? Let's start there. And you just start listening to people's story because everybody that sits here this morning, every one of you guys, you were born at some point in time, you've gone through stuff in your life, and there's been these fence posts of obstacles that you've all gone through, but no one ever asks you to share those, at least not very often. If someone were to sit down and say, I want to hear your story, I have nowhere to be, I'm taking my watch off and I'm turning my phone off, I just want to listen to you, you would appreciate that. And you're going to probably share. And as people would share, whoa, 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 go back to that. Can we talk about that? And you would just wait and see if the Lord opened up the door. And if he didn't open up a door, that's okay. Maybe next time. But if he did, you'll know it. And we recognized it. And we began to have these um, gospel conversations. So our strategies, we developed a couple of strategies. Number one was, how can we develop, develop what we call like a regular presence with the people that are in Elizabeth. And So we asked, What is the one place that everyone goes to in Elizabethan, whether they're um, poor, whether they're a bank president, whether they're a blue-collar worker, whether they're a mom, whatever? You know what the answer was? The coffee company. I'm telling you, man, everybody goes to the coffee company. Everybody. It's fascinating. So we actually began to pray. We developed a leadership team. We began to pray. And I went in, and I said, i got to get to know the leader of the coffee company. i got to get to know this person. So started sharing kind of, hey, here's who I am. Here's what we're wanting to do. Eventually that led to, well, Jerry, there's this closet that we have upstairs above the coffee company, but it's too small for an office. I'm like, let me see it. Well, that's our office now right? So our office is above the coffee company. I drink way too much coffee, but there's a continual presence that we have at the coffee company. And I have personally been able to lead the owner of the coffee company to faith in Christ and to baptize her and to see even other workers at the coffee company come to faith in Christ. And we have Bible studies and discipleship groups there on a regular basis. It's a constant presence where we're getting to know people and the people that are skeptics, the people that are just, who is this bald-headed guy that shows up in here, drinks coffee all all the time eventually when they start going through a fence post in their life they'll say hey can we talk I've got some struggles that I'm having and I know you're a pastor it's an amazing opportunity remaining steadfast in prayer and watchful in it but not being afraid to take those conversations and to take them back to the gospel okay but strategy number two was this when we were talking to our core team when we were talking to other individuals and we would say hey articulate to me what the gospel is If we could do that this morning, we're going to start over here and we're going to go around and I want each person to write down or to stand up and tell me the gospel. Would you be able to do so? We cannot take this grand message of Christ's gospel and deliver it to someone else when we don't understand it ourselves. So to walk up to someone and say, I've got good news for you. Jesus died for your sins because he loves you. Well, that's great. That's so sweet. But what in the world does that even mean? And most people don't even understand what we're saying there. So in a long walk at the beach, um, after a surgery that I had had, I had prostate cancer, and the Lord called me to be a part of this church in Elizabeth, and it was crazy, the season that I was in, and I began to pray, God, help me to have a tool, a strategy that we can give to our people. And I developed what I call this this gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L acronym, that we could give the gospel away. I want to share it. I want to share it briefly. I don't sing, but I'm going to sing for you. It's going to be terrible, and then we're going to move on. Okay? But I'm sorry, Mike. (laughs) I didn't tell you I was singing. Okay? So, but walk, I want you to hear this, because it'll stay with you. Uh, G, you got to start with God. God is perfect and holy. Okay? You don't even understand the rest of the gospel unless we understand just God, holy, majestic God. You know, you you just you got to see that o is this obstacle of sin that separates us from this holy god we are according to scripture apart from christ we are at enmity with god okay s stands for the fact that he came to save us jesus came he came to be our savior p the better p is propitiation Okay, it's, it's, it just encompasses everything. But that's hard to throw into a song. So instead of saying propitiation, we'll say he took our place. Okay, then the E is that he gives us eternal life and eternal relationship with him. The L is the love of Christ. Why did he do all of the thing, those things? Because God so loved the world. Does that make sense? So here's what I did. Are you ready for this? This is, this is a little tune that I, that I came up on my own. It's G for God. Perfect and holy, oh, the obstacle of sin. S for Savior, Christ came to save us. E, and give eternal life. <clears throat> L, because he loves us so. Believe, and you can know him too. And I forgot one, didn't I? I don't even know what I forgot. But you go through each one of those, the gospel is really, really good news. And we started doing that over and over to the people on the core team. And they were like, okay, so anytime I'm having a conversation with someone, I can kind of, okay, gee, for God, perfect and holy. And then I can go to the obstacle of sin. You know, then I can go to the fact that Christ came. This is why Jesus had to come. Okay? And he came to save us. He came actually to P. It was to take our place, to be our propitiation. He gave us eternal life and this eternal relationship with our creator. Why? Because he loves us so, and people were able to use that acronym to start sharing the gospel. And it was fascinating we had individuals that would take that step into conversations and you would see people come to faith because it's the foolishness of this gospel that's preached that saves people it's not our ability to be articulate it's not our persuasiveness it's not our rhetoric it's the gospel itself that saves people and if people are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ they have to understand the gospel and they have to be able to articulate it now, apparently, there was a movie called The Sound of Music, and those people say that I borrowed their. I don't even know. I've never even heard of that, that, that movie, so I don't think that that's true. And over the course of a year, we had around a dozen people that came to faith in, in Jesus Christ. And my first sermon series that I preached, I called it Gospel 101, and I took each one of those letters, and we spent a week on each one. And I remember this one guy, he was a neighbor of mine, and he was so far from the Lord and um, I played Frisbee golf with him just to try to get to know him, and, and I'm terrible at Frisbee golf. But eventually, I was like, hey, man, you know that I'm a part of this new church plant? He's like, yeah, I know. He's, like, I haven't been in church in years. I said, I know that. I said, you know, at some point in time, I'm probably going to ask you to come, don't you? He said, yeah, I figured you were. I said, like, okay, just want to make sure you were aware. He said, I'll come, you know, and he came, and we're in this S, and he comes to me, and we're taking communion, and he, he's got tears in his eyes. He's like, Jerry, the thought that God could forgive me for the things that I've done, I don't know, man. I just don't know. And that was it. He walked out. And I was like, just keep coming. And then a month later, I got to baptize him. He came to faith in Christ, and there was this big smile on his face when he came out of the water, like some of you guys are going to have this morning when you come out. And it was amazing. And we got to see that over and over and over it's a message of the gospel that is used by the spirit of god to save people so to reiterate big idea number two we plant the gospel and the word of god but it's jesus who grows the church we're to be faithful to the call of the great commission and the rest will take care of itself now let me parenthetically say this if we ever want to be a part of a church plant we can't be a part of a church plan or a part of a core team if we're not willing to be giving of our tithes and offerings, be giving of our time, be serving the church, and be opening up our mouths to share the truths of the gospel with people right now. We can't say, oh, I'll start doing those things when I'm a part of a church plant. We need to be doing those things now. So when we planted this this core team, we came up with these SMART goals, and a lot of it was Before we even get to the point where we're even going to think about having opening day of of our new church, we have to be out planting the gospel on a regular basis. It was like Jesus sending out the 72, and then every week people would come back and say, Oh my gosh. There was this amazing conversation. I was just listening to their story and I heard the door open up and I jumped through it and I had this amazing gospel conversation and it emboldened them. Their confidence, their gospel confidence, their boldness began to grow and then when we actually stepped into the first week as a church plant, we had a core team that was used to opening their mouth in what normally would have been uncomfortable situations and to share the gospel. So the goal is to plant the gospel and not churches. But, and hear me on this, if we plant the gospel as we should, oftentimes healthy churches will eventually be formed. And they should because God loves the church. It is he who established the structure of the church and it's the church that Christ died for. So each of these communities need healthy, that's a key word, Gospel-centered, another key word, churches. Because within those churches, it's just like this morning, it's there or it's here that worship and equipping and teaching and growing and participation in the ordinances of communion and baptism, it's here that those things take place. Okay, and that takes us to big idea number three, which is church planting is essential because churches are essential. You see that? Church planting, is, uh, church planting is essential because local churches, local churches in each community, they are essential. I was talking to Mike this past week, and he reminded me that, you know, you've got people like you know, a, a Tim Keller, you know, or the Apostle Paul, and their strategy was to go into the big cities. And that's a great thing. We need people that are willing to do that. But at Redstone Johnson City and Elizabeth, and our hearts have just been stirred for these local communities around us. So our strategy has been, let's go plant healthy gospel-centered churches in the the towns uh, around us. And I'm going crazy off script here. I'm gonna ask you this question. Do you remember, some of you older people, the words to John Cougar Mellencamp's song, Small Town? And some people don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Some of you are going to sing it in your head when I quote it. Well, I was born in a small town and I live in a small town, probably die in a small town. Oh, those small communities. All my friends are so small town. My parents live in this same small town. My job is so small town, provides little opportunity educated in a small town, taught to fear Jesus in a small town, used to daydream in that small town, another boring romantic, that's me. Well, I was born in a small town and I can breathe in a small town. going to die in this small town and that's probably where they'll bury me. And that's true. Look around our region. Elizabethan, Gray, Hayside, uh, Limestone, Stony Creek, Sulphur Springs, name your own community, the people that are there, oftentimes, they go to the Dollar General there, they go to the Walgreens there, they go to the, Wal- uh, the, the Walmart that's there, um, they, they marry their high school sweetheart there, they end up finding a job close to there, and they end up living all of their days in that area. Why don't we strategize planting churches in those communities as well, which begins with planting churches? The gospel. The other thing that we noticed, that I noticed, was that people have prejudices when it comes to some of these small towns. They just do. Like, I've got friends right now that won't come to Redstone Elizabethan because it's in Elizabethan. France makes fun of USA. USA kind of puts down Mexico. At least we're not Mexico. California would probably make fun of Tennessee. Nashville would look at Knoxville and say, what a little town. Knoxville would look at the Tri Cities. Johnson City and Kingsport would say, well, at least we're not Bristol. You know, and Bristol and all of the tri-cities would say, well, at least we're not in Elizabethan. But if you live in Elizabethan, they're like, well, at least you live on the west side and not the east side. It's weird, these, 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 these regional prejudices that we all have. But the truth of the matter is, we all know people that live in these towns. And they all have lives. And they all have stories. They have fence posts. And they need someone to sit down and say, share me your story. I want to hear your story. And then as the Lord opens the door to take Jesus and to weave him into that and show them how he is the hope that they have. I got a lot of notes here on, um, of how Jesus was from Nazareth and he was from Bethlehem and looking at the populations. I don't even have time to go into some of those, but I'll give you the end result, which is this. I'll share, like, for example, Knoxville has 187,000 people in it. Bethlehem had, um, you know, six to... You know, six to 10, um, Nazareth was around 6,000. And Elizabethan has, let me see, Elizabethan has 13,000. Okay. 2010, US uh, Census Bureau, 16,307 towns that are under the population of 25,000 people. That's 33.7 million people. Hear this. This is our heart, this is our strategy. It's not saying that he's necessarily calling Christ cities to jump into that, but I would be remiss if I didn't share our heart. 33.7 million people who live and will probably die in these small towns. And we're right beside of these towns. They're all around us. And why do I share all of that? Because according to this principle of Colossians 4, 2, remain steadfast in prayer and watchful in it, we should probably pay attention to that. Who are the people that we work with? You know, where, where do our friends live? And are there any gospel-centered churches in those areas? And if not, why don't we start praying about that and see if we can't go plant the gospel one person at a time and see if he doesn't take that and use that to build a church. At Redstone Elizabeth, and we're actually moving into this new phase where we're paying attention again and we recognize well isn't this interesting we've got a lot of people coming from Butler and from Roe Mountain and from Eastside from um, just all these other areas so we're actually praying about planting a church in Hampton over the next couple of years and you guys can pray with us about that and what's exciting is um, this morning, the guy that's preaching at Redstone Elizabeth, and while I'm here, he actually went through the program that your church offers, and the person that we're looking to be the planter at Hampton, he's actually in the program that's here on, I don't even know what night it is, Monday night or something, you know, but, but it's the, the seminary program that your church offers. Wow, that's exciting. Just that partnership uh, that exists between us. I can't thank you guys enough for two things. One, the seminary program. And, um, you know, the other is to go to give. The fact that you guys have partnered with us for the past couple of years at Redstone Elizabethan, I just can't even say how thankful we are um, for that. But the Lord is using that to equip other leaders, and some of those leaders are probably getting ready to go out and they're going to plant other churches in our area. So to plant another church, you know, the gospel begins to grow one person at a time. Your core group's doing what they're called to do. And then what do you need to be able to successfully plant the church? I think three things. you got to have a location designated. So we said, yeah, we've got one of those. We've got to have a core team. And right now there's 19 adults and a bunch of kids that are meeting in a home on a regular basis in Hampton. And they're praying about a, a potential future church plant. And then the other thing that you have to have is A leader. A leader. There's a need for a leader. Look at this passage, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. It says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We are to entrust to faithful men who love the Lord and who are obedient to his scriptures, to be his ambassadors that are able and willing to faithfully lead these church plants, which leads us to our final big truth of the day, which is this. Faithful and qualified men must be identified, equipped, and sent to lead these healthy church plants. So that's where our focus is. I was looking online and reading some things about try to see these Baptists. I think Daniel preached a couple of weeks ago on equipping leaders, and we're trying to do the same thing because we feel like if this is really our heart and if this is our strategy, we're going to have to raise up uh, more leaders um, in the future. And going back to this passage, Paul's saying, this is you know, a paraphrase, what you've heard from me, this glorious gospel and the truth of who God is, how we're separated by our sins, how Christ is God incarnate and he came to earth to pay the penalty for our sins, the fact that he did so because he loves us, that if we believe this good news, this gospel through which all of our guilt is absolved, forever forgiven, forever loved and part of God's family, we must take that message and entrust it to faithful men. Because these church plants will need strong, gospel-centered, thick-skinned, bold, ambitious, living for Jesus and ready to die for him at any moment kind of leaders. Faithful, faithful leaders. Find them, equip them, and then send them to these small towns. As we head to the finish line this morning, imagine, if you will, a vision For many of the healthy gospel-centered churches in our area that's built on preparing leaders to shepherd these flocks in big cities, but also in Sulphur Springs, or in Wise, Virginia, or in Hampton. A vision of raising leaders, identifying them, planters, core teams, equipping them, supporting them, walking with them, and sending them out. It's what Jesus called us to do. The directive that he gave us, his last words that he speaks before he ascends into heaven, you know, it's where we started this morning. It's the Great Commission. This is what Jesus has called us to do. And if we do it, we should not be surprised if Jesus comes along beside of us because he promises that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And to see these churches planted in these regions, what an amazing vision. What an amazing result of just being obedient to the Great Commission. Short recap, and I'm going to close in prayer. Making disciples, this is the big truth, demands we share Jesus and leads us to plant churches. Big truth number one, or big idea number one, the gospel is always about going. Idea number two, the gospel is to plant the gospel and not churches. As we go, we take the word of truth with us. The gospel itself is what must be planted. That's the thing that will change people's lives. Big idea number three, church planting is essential because local churches are essential. Jesus loves the people in these little backwood towns, just like he loves the people of New York City. And we have to be willing to go to them as well. And then big idea number four, faithful and qualified men must be identified, equipped, and sent to lead these church plants the great commission can and should eventually lead to planting churches and that's what we're excited about Uh, worship team if you guys can you guys can just come on back up and as you're on your way up i want to just ask you guys just to close your eyes for a moment. And let's just spend a moment silently, just letting what we've heard, this call of the Great Commission and the connection to planting churches, let that sink into your hearts and into your minds and let that stir you. We'll just be still for a moment and then I'm going to pray and get out of the way. Father, stir our hearts, help us to see this call in the Great Commission and may may you speak to us each individually and maybe even collectively as a church, have your way with us right now.